All right, good morning. My uh, brothers who have preceded me have had the privilege of introducing one of the books in your bag, and they've always been books that others wrote. I have to introduce my book, uh, and so this feels a little awkward to me. Uh, but you did get a copy of Nobody's for Jesus. Let me tell you why I wrote that book. As a, as a professor of evangelism, I'm aware of many, many programs that we have written. I've written some. I, I believe programs can be helpful. Uh, but one of my concerns is that we try to program people to do evangelism who've lost their fire for Jesus in the first place. And programs can't fix that. And so I wrote this simple little book to say, let's go into the text and see people who were fascinated by Jesus and that maybe if we come back to, no, I'm fascinated by Jesus, then I'll talk more about him. It is difficult to talk about Jesus when we want to talk about ourselves. And so Nobody's for Jesus was intended to say, look, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. And if we love him, we're filled with wonder over him, we will speak about him. So I hope you, hope you enjoy that. All right, I hope you have your text. I want you to go with me in the scriptures to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. And as you, as, as you find your place in the scriptures, I want to start with a simple little exercise about the Word. I want you to, as you have the Word in your hands, in your lap, on your phone, I want you to get two numbers in your head for me. One number will be simple for you. The other number may take a little bit of work. I want you to, first of all, get this number in your head, the number of people who were in your house as you grew up. The number of people who were in your house as you grew up. Think about it. In my home, there were five of us. So you get that number in your head. All right, here's the second number I want you to get in your head. The number of Bibles that were in your house as you grew up. The number of copies of the Scripture in your house as you grew up. Always when I ask this question, I watch people as you, in your mind, go through your house. They get one here, one here, one here. Tell me this, by raising your hand, how many of you grew up in homes where there were more copies of the Bible than there were human beings in your house? All right, just look around there a little bit. I want you to see that because as we think about taking the gospel to the nations, we can take you to places where they have no copies of the scriptures. Places where people will ride their bikes for days just to come here. Anybody expound the scriptures for any length of time. And then we come back to our homes and we have more copies of the Bible than we have people. And we have the entirety of it in our language in our hands, and we better not take that for granted. So we think about the Word today, and we think particularly about praying today. I'm going to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 6 in just a little bit, but I want to take you into the lives of some of my friends. Some of the finest people I know are serving on the mission field, godly, faithful, seeking God, wanting to reach people for Christ. And I take you into their lives. I use just their initials because of the places where some of them are serving. I take you into the life of A, who is 
serving in North Africa and the Middle East. She's serving in a place where she would say to me, Dr. Lawless, it feels like we're only picking up rocks now. It doesn't even feel like we're yet at a place where we can plant seeds. And I ask the question, who's praying for her and that work? Or I think about Elle, who's living in a war-torn area of Africa, trying to reach people who every day are fighting for their own safety. And I, I ask who's praying for him and his work. Or, or M, who's reaching people in a more reached area. He's actually serving in theological education. And part of his task is he's trying to hold on to biblical moorings in a place where the sea of liberalism is rising around him. And who's praying for him as he stands on the word or... Jay, who's serving in one of the largest countries of the world where persecution is setting in against every religion that is not the predominant religion. And who's praying for him and for his work? Or C, who's in, who's in a tough soil. He and his family have been there for a year, and they have been sick since day one, every one of them. And now they're even asking the question. They're questioning, is this our calling? And who's praying for them? Well, I ask who's praying for our missionaries for a couple of reasons. One, because I suspect that many of us talk more about praying for missionaries than we actually pray for missionaries. I think we use the language more than we get on our knees. But also because I read the words of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, Tom Schreiner, said he is first and foremost a missionary. And I read Paul writing his call for prayer, Romans 15, 30. I appeal to you, brothers, to strive together with me in your prayer to God on my behalf. 2 Corinthians 1, 11, you must also help us by prayer. Philippians 1, 19, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, it's simple, brothers, Pray for us. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And I read these texts, and Paul recognizes that the task to which he is called demands the power of God. It says you pray, you pray, you pray. And then we go to our primary text. I want to show you two texts in the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, two books written to churches and context that were dealing with the reality of demonic forces, demonic powers. One, the church at Colossae where, where false teaching was infiltrating the church. And Paul wants the believers in both contexts to know that Christ reigns supreme over all the powers. He wants to encourage them to, to press on in faithfulness, to, to pursue holiness, to put off the old man and live out the new man. And in Ephesians 6, to wear the whole armor of God as they carry out this battle. And in both letters, he says to them, you live out your faith in, in your household and in your workplace and in your daily lives. You're a witness to the one who is higher than all powers, who reigns supreme over everything, and that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in both of these letters, he brings them to a close with a call to pray. It's first a general call to prayer, and then he funnels that down into 
you pray for me and my team as we do this work. So let me show you this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Paul has unpacked this call to put on the whole armor of God, and he ends that armor with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then verse 18, he says, you pray. And listen to how he says this. Hang on to these texts, because I want to unpack both this and Colossians 4 together. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so he begins, pray, 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 and then pray for me. Now go with me to Colossians chapter 4. I want you to see how he concludes this book as he works toward the close. It's similar, a similar call to pray. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, look at how he narrows this prayer to his team. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in, in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Let's pray and ask God to teach us. Father, we do want to pause and pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are serving you faithfully. Thank you for their commitment, their obedience. God, may they even know that a group of people in Wake Forest are lifting them up right now. For those who are struggling, may you grant strength. For those, Lord, who are questioning, may you grant faith. Father, for those who are in tough, tough situations, perhaps at risk, give them courage to stand for the gospel regardless of the cost. And for those who are lonely, give them a church that will walk beside them. Father, I pray that you would grant them fruit, that they would see just glimpses of your glory as you draw people to yourself. Now, Father, teach us. Thank you for the access you give us to your word. Teach us from it in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at these texts together, I want to take you in a few different directions. Here's number one. I want you to hear the urgency in these, in these requests. Hear the urgency in these requests. Both Ephesians and Colossians begin in prayer with a call to pray and end with this call to pray. In that sense, they are bookended in prayer. And so you see the emphasis of Paul's praying for the believers and then the conclusion of the book, Paul's calling them to pray for him. And so we go back to Ephesians 1, and Paul says to the Ephesians, I do not cease to give thanks for you, and I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and understanding and knowledge of him, and I pray that your hearts would be enlightened, and he prays for them. And then in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, I will always give thanks for you. 
We pray that you may be filled with wisdom and understanding, that you may walk in a manner worthy of your calling, and we pray that you'll be strengthened with all of God's power. And Paul shows us something here, that the partnership he has with the churches goes in two different directions. On one hand, he's praying for them, and then he will call them to pray for him. So it really goes both ways. This is a partnership of prayer as they do this work together. I'm praying for you, and he will eventually say, you pray for me, but that's not where he starts in these calls to prayer in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 4. He doesn't start by saying, you pray for me. No, he starts with, you just pray. And that's where you see this sense of urgency. In Ephesians chapter 6, he unpacks that whole picture of we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so he wants them to know we are in a war here. But we're not in a war by ourselves. We stand in God's strength and God's might, and the very armor that we wear is God's armor. And so he says to them, you put on all of this armor. And then he says, you pray. And listen to the urgency, the repetition of the word all. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray with all prayer and supplication. Pray, keep alert with all perseverance and make supplication for all the saints. And so he says, I want you to know we're all in this battle. We're all up against these principalities and powers that, that want to draw us back into living like the old self, that want to divide that which God has united. And so let's make sure that we pray together. The enemy is not going to give up, and so pray Pray for all the saints. Pray with steadfastness. Pray like it matters. So generally, he says, you pray. And then in Colossians 4, he begins by saying, continue steadfastly in prayer. The word there has a sense of ongoing commitment and fervor. Devote yourselves to prayer. Commit yourselves to prayer. Persist in prayer. Keep pressing on in prayer. Don't stop praying. As there are false teachings that that try to worm their way into the church, you just keep praying. As the enemy wants to deceive the church and lead it in the wrong direction, you just keep praying. As believers need encouragement in Colossae, you just keep praying. And there's a lifeline sense of urgency to this praying. There's there's an expression of dependence on God and a longing for his guidance and his leading. And there's a recognition that without it, there can be no victory. So he says, you pray, and 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 you pray. Before Paul ever gets to the call to pray for him and pray for his team, he says, you pray with fervor and passion. Let it be your DNA. See, here's what I wonder. I wonder if perhaps we don't pray much for missionaries for one reason, We don't pray much in general. And in some cases, we're calling churches to pray for missionaries when we haven't called them to pray in the first place. 
and we haven't taught them by our model, by our commitment, by our own pastoral passion, we haven't shown them how to pray with fervor. And they haven't seen it. Paul begins by saying, no, you just pray. You just pray. Pray with persistence and urgency. So I want you to hear the urgency of this praying. It's out of the DNA of prayer that we pray for our missionaries. And then second from these texts, I want you to hear the call to be alert as we pray. To be alert as we pray. In Ephesians 6, Paul says, to that end, as you're praying, to that end, keep alert in your praying. In Colossians 4, here's the word, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. As you pray with this kind of passion, be watchful as you pray. So keep alert, he says, first of all. Keep that in mind with Ephesians 6. He's already said you're in the battle. He's already said there are principalities and powers coming after you. So he says this, you better keep alert as you're praying. Stay awake in the battle as opposed to think about this, as opposed to those disciples to whom Jesus said, you go and pray, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation on the Mount of Olives and rather than pray, what did they do? They slept. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the way you do this. This battle's real. It's intense. So you keep alert as you pray. This is no listless, unfocused, perfunctory, check-off-the-box praying. This is praying in the power of the Spirit. It's praying in absolute dependence. It's being ever aware of the the enemy's attack, but knowing you stand against that in the armor of God. And Paul says you keep alert in the battle and you just keep praying. Colossians 4, he says you be watchful in the battle. Again, some sense of being alert, being on guard for, paying attention to watchfulness, in particular likely watching for the imminent return of Jesus. Recognition that Christ could return at any moment. And so may he find us as dependent people, as people who love him so much, we want to talk to him. Richard Mellick on, in his commentary on Colossians said, this is also, there's also a sense here of, of being alert, being watchful, having knowledge of the circumstances of life, of those things particularly that hinder the spread of the gospel. And so in that sense, it's just recognizing what are we up against as we pray? What are we up against? To, to where are we sending our missionaries? What are they up against? It's simple knowledge of them and their work. And we're watching and waiting for the return of Christ, being aware of the work of God. And so we pray. We pray with thanksgiving, grateful that he leads us, grateful that he gives us victory. But all the while, we are absolutely praying with intentionality. We are praying with knowledge. We're watching for the work of God. So Paul says this, pay attention as you pray. Be ever alert in light of Christ's return. Be ever alert in watching your own life in light of his coming. Be ever alert of what's going on around us as you you pray. And then Paul narrows that then 
to say, let me tell you a way to pray with intentionality. As you watch, as you guard yourself, as you're ever alert, let me tell you how I need you to pray. I need you to pray for us, he says. Keep alert, ever focus in your prayers and pray for me. Now let me pause there for one minute because I don't think it's coincidental the positioning of this request that those churches would pray for him and for his team. Particularly in Ephesians 6 where Paul again has said we're in this battle and he tells them you put on the whole armor of God. And in essence, he says, you walk in truth, and you walk in righteousness, and you speak the gospel of peace, and you trust the promises of God in faith, and you live out your salvation, and you love the word, and you speak the word, you live in the word, and it's out of your position in Christ and your practice for Christ. That's the kind of people Paul says, I want you doing that if you're going to be praying for me. In Colossians, he says, you put to death what is earthly in you. You put on the new man and let the word of Christ dwell, dwell richly in you. And he tells them, this is the way I want you to live. And then he comes back to say, you pray for me. This is what you lay aside and this is what you take on. And then you pray for me. Why does that matter? This is, this is a missionary church planter under arrest for his faithfulness. He's in this war, and he wants prayer support. But I would suggest to you he wants to know that the people praying for him know how to touch heaven because they're walking with God. And what that says to us is, as you challenge your church to pray for missionaries, don't disconnect that from teaching them to follow Christ. Don't disconnect that from teaching them to be people of integrity, people who make righteous choices, people who love the gospel and speak the gospel. Don't disconnect that from helping them to know the promises of God to, to stand on. Don't disconnect that from getting them into the Word. If you're going to call people to pray, make sure they are people who walk with God. The prayers of ungodly, disciplined lips don't go very far. And if we're praying for people that we're sending into the darkness, make sure you're training your people to walk in Christ. So hear the, hear the urgency of this praying. Hear this call to, to be alert. And then third, I want you to hear the request of the missionary. I want you to hear the Apostle Paul's request. Here's what he says in Ephesians 6. He says, pray for me that I will speak the gospel boldly. Pray for me in the opening of my mouth that I will speak it boldly. Go back with me to the text and let's look at it together. Go back with me to verse 19 of Ephesians 6. And also for me, he says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. 
for which I am an ambassador of change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He bookends it again. Pray for me that I will speak boldly. Boldness will come from my lips. And I will do this as I ought to speak. This is a man under divine compulsion, his calling to be an apostle, this one who is to proclaim the word of God to the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, according to Acts 9. This is one who speaks for the king. And he says, you pray for me that I will speak boldly, that I can speak the mystery of the gospel that is now revealed, that this is a gospel that goes to Jew and Gentile alike, and, and I have the privilege of speaking it. And so, so pray for me that I will do it boldly. Well, why would he say, pray for me that I will have courage? Here's what he knows. He's called to step into a war. Because here's what he's called to do. Let me just show you some text here very quickly. We won't look at those. Let me just refer you to those. Here's how Paul understands the very people that he's trying to reach as he evangelizes. In Ephesians chapter 2, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. They are by nature children of wrath, and they are following the prince of the power of the air. In Colossians chapter 1, they are in the domain of darkness until God intervenes and transfers them to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, they are blinded by the God of this age. And in Acts 26, when Paul tells his testimony and cites the words of Jesus to him, and Jesus says, I'm sending you to open their eyes that they may move from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And so here's what Paul understands. His calling is to take the good news, the light of the gospel, into the darkness. And he's called to take the gospel to people who follow the prince of the power of the air. They live in darkness. They're under the power of Satan. They're caught in his trap. They're blinded by the God of this age. So you know what his calling is? It is to engage the enemy's territory. It is to go with the gospel to people who need to hear. And that can be tough. And that can be frightening. And that can be overwhelming. And that can invite the enemy's attack. And so he says, you, you pray for me. You pray for me that I'll speak the gospel boldly. In fact, here's what he says. He's under arrest. He's in prison. Why? He's in prison for having spoken the gospel. How? Boldly. You know what he says? You pray for me that I'll keep doing what got me here in the first place. And it seems to me if the Apostle Paul needed prayer support to be bold with the gospel, I probably do too. You probably do too. And even the men and women who go under the call of God to the nations, who can speak to us of dramatic senses of God wants them to go where the gospel hasn't gone, and they go with passion and fervor, they too need the boldness of the Spirit of God in their life. And Paul says, here's how I get that. You pray for me. You pray that 
I will speak the gospel boldly. Then Colossians 4. Let's go back to Colossians 4. Again, the general picture in verse 2 is you just keep praying. And then he brings it down to himself and his team in verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on which account I am in prison. I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Here's how he prays here, how he calls for prayer. You pray for me that God will open up a door for the word. It's not the first time we get that sense. In Acts chapter 14, verse 27, Paul and Barnabas report that God has opened a door for the Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul says, a wide door for effective ministry has been opened to me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, a door was opened for me in the Lord. So he knows that it's God who opens up the doors. And so he says, you pray for me that God will open up a door for me. And we might wonder, all right, he's in prison. Is this possible that Paul is saying, no, you, you pray for me that God will literally open the door and let me out. I doubt that, and here's why. Because prison doors never stopped Paul from preaching. He sings, he praises, he preaches, and even when the walls collapse and the doors open, he preaches. So I don't think that's what he's saying. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, Look, God, give me opportunity to speak, and God, you work in this. You pray for me that, that God will make this possible, that God will open up doors for me to speak and grant me courage at the same time. So on one hand, he says in Ephesians 6, God opened my mouth. In Colossians 4, he says, open the door. And even in the very prison where he finds himself because of his preaching of the gospel, he says, you just pray for me. You pray for me that God will keep opening the doors here. And if it's the guard, then I might speak to the guard. If, if, if for some reason I get out and I can speak to the kings, let me speak to the kings. If the crowds gather, let me speak to the crowds. God just opened the door. He says, you pray for me that God will do that. And then he says, you pray for me that I'll make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Again, hear that divine compelling that I have to do this. More literally, he says, that I will make manifest the gospel, that I'll make it known to people who still need to hear. Pray for me that, that I'll make the gospel known. This is the heart of the missionary. This is the heart of Paul. This is the heart of Paul, whose heart's desire is that his people be saved. This is the heart of Paul who said, if it were possible, I would be accursed that my people would come to know God. This is the brokenness of lostness in his life. And when you're that broken over lostness, you keep witnessing even in prison. When you're hurt that much over the eternal destiny of people who don't know Jesus, you pray for God to open up doors and to give you boldness and to give you clarity to speak wherever God has you.
And I would want you to see this, that what Paul calls for here is a sense of proactive praying for him. Let me talk about that for just a minute. I fear, not only for missionaries, but I fear in general that we have taught our people to pray only reactively. We've taught them to pray in response to issues. I think about churches, for example, that have prayer lists. Well, think about it. If your church has a prayer list, think with me about that. What has to happen to you to get your name on the prayer list? Somebody gets sick, somebody dies, lose a job, your home gets foreclosed on, then we start praying for you. Or how about families in our churches? When do we start praying for families in our churches? You know when we do it? When they're struggling. And sometimes we don't start the praying until after they've already signed the papers. When do we start praying for young people in our churches? When they're wandering, when the enemy's dragging them into sin. We've got many churches represented here. Let's be real honest. When do we start praying for sister congregations? I think it's when we hear they're in trouble. And when do we often start praying for missionaries? My fear is this. We pray over them as we send them out, because that's just part of a commissioning service. And then we don't pray for them again until we hear there's trouble, until word comes to us, something's up. And we pray reactively. Now, certainly there's a situation in Paul's life that compels him to say to them, you pray for me. But listen to what Paul says. This is not a reactionary prayer. What Paul says is, yes, I'm in prison, and yes, I'm in chains, but I'm not done yet. I'm still in this battle. I'm still in this war. So I need you praying for me that I will keep on doing. That's proactive pray. You pray for me that I will keep on speaking the gospel as I ought. And I want us praying for our missionaries, not just in response to problems. I want us praying for them because they are our brothers and sisters and we're sending them out and they want us to pray for them, that they will speak boldly and clearly and God will open up the doors. They ought not to have to ask us for those prayers. If we send them out, we better send them out with our prayers ongoing. I appreciate hearing from, from Andy and Mark yesterday and how Capitol Hill does that and the prayers that they have for, for them. That's, that's what I want us to be doing. How dare we send them out and not pray for them until we hear there's a problem? So, so what do we do with this? A couple of thoughts. I challenge you, pray consistently for missionaries by name. Many of you already know some missionaries. 
Develop a strategy so that your small group, so that your church, so that your pastoral prayers are covering them with intentionality. If you don't know any missionaries, talk to some of us. I assure you we can get you connected with people who want you to pray. So let us help you do that. Second, I, I encourage you pray at a minimum how Paul taught the Colossians and the Ephesians to pray. At a minimum, pray that they will have courage in their work. Pray that, that they will clearly make manifest the gospel. Pray that God will open doors for them. We don't even have to figure this out. Paul gives us the prayer. And then you know what? I encourage you. Remember Paul began Ephesians and Colossians saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you as a church. I encourage you, ask some missionaries to pray for your church. Some of the most praying people I know are serving around the world. I have a number of our missionaries for whom we pray, and it's not at all uncommon for one of our missionaries to write back to me and say, tell us how we can pray for you. And I don't think they're just verbalizing what they think they need to say. They get it that we're all in this battle. And they mean it when they say, Let's, let us pray for you too. So let them intercede for your church even as you are interceding for them. Let this be a partnership of prayer as it ought to be. Here's, here's the picture. Years ago, I was teaching at Southern Seminary and Weekly, I taught in one of our prisons. And I loved teaching those, those men. And I was teaching one day in a, in a new chapel, and, and they, there were prisoners in front of me here and prisoners behind me in the, in the choir loft, and I was talking to them about the first time that I had come into that prison yard. And I met a man who had been in that prison for decades. His name was Tattoo Mike. So you can imagine what Tattoo Mike looked like. Tattoo Mike had become a believer on that yard, and he was a faithful gospel witness. And every time I'd come in there, here come Tattoo Mike with his disciples behind him, and he'd say, Doc, let me tell you, look at this guy. Here's what he did, but God saved him. Here's what he did, but God saved him. And just Tattoo Mike. And I was, I was preaching this particular day, and I was telling them that the first time I ever came on the yard and I heard that, that electronic door shut behind me, and I'm walking back to the place where we were meeting, that, that honestly, I was afraid. And as I talked about being afraid, I heard this gruff voice behind me say, we got your back, Doc. <laughs> um, and I stopped, and I, I turned around, and I looked, and there's Tattoo Mike. And he stood up in the choir loft, and he pointed his finger at me and said, we got your back, Doc. Now, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't really sure what that meant at the time. Uh, but, uh, but, here's, but here's what I learned. You know what I learned? Those, those guys loved me. 
And if anybody ever came after me on that yard, they were taking them down because they had my back. We, we have the privilege and the responsibility to raise up missionaries and send them out. We're sending them out into the battle. If you do that, watch their back in prayer. And then ask them to watch your back too and just see what God does. Let me, let me pray for us here. Father, I thank you for the men and women who have prayed for me. I thank you for those folks who even this morning texted me saying, I'm praying for you. For my wife praying for me, for my colleagues praying for me, for my brothers on this platform who have prayed for me. God, remind us of how much we need the prayers of each other. Remind us how much you've used the prayers of others to bring us to the place where we are today. God, I don't know, maybe there are those in this room who are wandering even while they're here in this conference and somewhere there's somebody praying for them that they would come back home. God, may you move on them. Maybe there are those here who aren't sure that they know you personally and somebody's been praying. God, I pray. I pray that you would raise up pastors and leaders in this group who would say, we're going to watch the back of those we send to the nations that they may be bold, that they may manifest the gospel clearly, and that you, God, will open doors, that they may hear the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in whose name we pray. Amen.